God of life and joy, on this third Sunday of Advent, we joyfully celebrate your promise of the new world to come. We rejoice in anticipation of a dry and barren wasteland turning into a glorious oasis for tired, anxious, and thirsty people, just as Isaiah envisioned. Help us prepare our hearts for the coming of Christ, the light of the world. Illuminate our waiting and watching, our praying, thinking, and our acting with the light of the gospel so that we may produce the fruit of patience. Forgive us our grumbling when we itch with restlessness and worry. We need the spirit of patience in our lives, the spiritual source of all joyful hope. Help us, Lord, to count it all joy. We continue to pray for Trevetta Johnson and her family as they grieve the death of her father. Lord, grant them peace and comfort as they reel from the sudden loss of his life. We pray for Dean Foster, Kathy's son, who undergoes thyroid surgery tomorrow, for Judy Pate's partial knee replacement on Tuesday, and for Tara McLean, who tore her ACL and is scheduling an MRI and possible surgery. We also pray for Mary Baldred's mom, who awaits a PET scan and treatment plan for newly diagnosed breast cancer and for Suzanne Hassel as she undergoes chemo. We entrust them and all those in our body who are suffering or in pain to you, Lord, and joyfully hope for healing and wholeness. Lord, we pray that the Gatlinburg rebuilding efforts bring shalom to the city in new and unexpected ways. We pray for our city and county as talks of new school zones and crosstown busing puts a strain on our East Knoxville neighbors. We pray that educational resources are justly and evenly distributed across all schools. O oh God, giver of inexplicable joy, even in the midst of much pain and sorrow, bless this Church of Christ that we may celebrate the incarnation of your love in the person of Jesus. May the whole world recognize the healing and saving ministry of Christ through us as we reach out to a world filled with thirsty people. Amen. Tonight's reading is from John 1, 6 through 13. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the word of the Lord. A number of years ago, I uh, was preaching at a conference for missionaries in Eastern Europe, and on the way home, we had a layover in Rome, and so spent the day kind of tromping around. It was hot and sweaty and noisy and loud, and of course, I got lost many times, and finally, towards the end of the day, just walked into a great cathedral, and nobody was there. The air was kind of moist and chilled and heavy. It was dimly lit. And at the top was this beautiful stained glass picture of Jesus. And out of all that hustle and bustle, we just got to sit and look at Jesus. 
I think the Gospel of John is like that cathedral. It's like coming in out of a very busy world and just sitting and pondering who Jesus is. Mark Pate and company have been uh, looking at the Gospel of John on Monday nights and been hearing some really good things. They've created a very interesting kind of learning community where everybody's kind of sharing and digging in together. And so I called him a couple weeks ago. I said, what are you learning? And he said, I've got eight points. Call me back. So I (laughs) I called him back and I wrote them all down. And here's two of them. The goal of John's gospel is to restore wonder and awe. John, because of his perspective over time, became tender and humble and just wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus. The infinite became finite. The eternal conformed to time. The invisible became visible. And the supernatural reduced himself to natural. Thinking about this should inspire wonder and awe. Wonder is always, this is number four, wonder is always in the heart not in the head. My default is to study and go deeper in my head, but facts aren't going to set anybody free. (laughs) So what I hope to do tonight and next Sunday as we finish up Advent is just kind of be like a tour guide for you. This won't be a real linear sermon, but I just want to point to a couple things about our beautiful Jesus that might inspire us to awe and wonder first Sunday of Advent, we looked at the first five verses where John introduces Jesus as the eternal Word of God, who was with God from the beginning. Then in verse 6, we're introduced to John the Baptist, the prophet who introduced Jesus to the world. And we read, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. I like that description of him. He was sent, the It's a common Greek word. It's apostello. It's uh, the word we get apostle from. It's usually used to describe uh, someone in authority sending someone or dispatching someone with a message to go tell someone something, uh, to go on a mission. They have a very clear defined task. And, And in this case, John has a very clearly defined task. He knows what he's being sent to do. He's being sent to witness to Jesus Christ. And as I, I thought about Mark's uh, comment, um, I, I put down some of my commentaries in preparing, and I, I stepped back, and I, I just spent some time kind of meditating on this. And I thought, you know, that, that's a great description for a spirit-filled Christian life, is that you're sent. You just have, your life is not responding to fear. Uh, it's not responding to need. It's responding to being sent. One of the things for some strangers, it's funny how things pop up. Uh, when I was in seminary, there was this crazy course at Fuller Seminary, which was an hour up the road in Pasadena, where a guy named John Wimber was teaching about, uh, he called it Signs and Wonders and Church Growth. It was a, a class for missionaries. And he was uh, inviting people to come in, and they were studying the book of Acts, and then they were praying for people. A lot of people were getting healed. For some reason, I keep thinking about that class. I'm, I've, I've started to realize that either, A, I'm just getting old and it's going to keep happening, or B, uh, maybe that's okay, and I'll go with wherever my mind goes. So my mind was going down that direction, and I started to realize, I think God wants me to become more aware of opportunities to pray for people. So I wrote into my journal, 
Lord, you know, give me some opportunities to pray this way. Well, yesterday, I'm uh, walking out of the, I'm getting some dinner, I'm walking out of the grocery store. A woman stops the car, gets out of the car, comes over to me, says, you don't know me, my father's dying, I need you to pray. It was cold. I had to go to the bathroom. And so I said I'd pray for you in the car, which I did. But I realized driving home, you really missed an opportunity to care for that woman that I think I was sent. This is one of those daily sendings when the Holy Spirit was saying, okay, let's test this out a little bit. You say you want to pray for people. Okay, I'm sending you to this one. Okay, so today, I find often God gives me do-overs. So I'm going to, to visit one of my swim kids' parents because her phone is broken and I, the only way I can talk to her is to go over to her house. So I'm talking with her, talking about we're going to take him to a basketball game on Thursday night. And she says, my father is depressed. Would you pray for him? <laughs> Second time in two days. <laughs> and this time I said, yes. We were outside. It's still kind of cold. And I laid hands on her and they're in uh, Fifth Avenue and um, I prayed for her for quite a while. And then she said, can you stay a minute? And just started to pour out her heart about something else going on in her life. I think there's a sentness about the Christian life. When we become aware of times when God has just said, move towards this, move towards that. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. The Gospel of John is about people who witness Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, there's eight different witnesses in the Gospel of John. There's the witness of the Father. Chapter 5, verse 37, the witness of Jesus himself says, I'm the Word of God. 8.14, the witness of Jesus' works. Chapter 5, verse 36, the witness of the Scriptures. Chapter 5, verse 39, the witness of John the Baptist. Chapter 1, verse 7, the witness of people who met Jesus all through the book. The witness of the disciples. Chapter 15, chapter 19, the witness of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 15, verse 26. The whole book of the Gospel of John is about witnesses to this beautiful, lovely Lord of ours that we worship tonight. And I know if you study religion at college, you've heard... Well, the church invented Jesus as God in the 4th century for political reasons. The early church didn't believe that. Uh, no, that's not true. Here's one reason why we know. I don't know if I got this slide in here. I sent it kind of late. Do we have a... Okay, thank you, Jesse, for getting there. That is called the John Ryland's, Ryland's Papyrus number 55. That is a, a fragment of John chapter 18, verse 31 in the Greek that is dated in the early 2nd century. So within a few years of when John wrote this gospel, we have a copy of this book. So do you see what that means? That means that the early church's witness to Jesus as the Son of God, as the divine Messiah, we have a text from just a few years after the last apostle that records that that's true. And you can go over to Ryland's uh, Library in Manchester, New England, and you can see it right now. That's what the Gospel of John is about. It's witnessing to Jesus. He was not the light. 
but he came to bear witness about the light. One of the things that Mark and I had a good discussion of, one of the things I think their class has been talking about is leaders. I think a lot of leaders go to that class. And one of the things they were discussing was why do leaders burn out? And uh, it's a good question because a lot of times when you've been in spiritual leadership, some of you have had that role. It's hard, it's tough, and, and you burn out. And one of the things that their class is discovering is it's because we get this verse wrong. We forget who's the light. We forget who's the Savior. We forget who's the one responsible for healing and penetrating the darkness and illuminating the way and rescuing the world. And I think that can happen whether you're caring for a, a, an elderly loved one or leading a company. It's just so easy to kind of move into this place of, I have to solve this, I have to fix this, I have to rescue, I have to make it all right. John knew that he was not Jesus. That's a very important thing to know, is that you're not Jesus. That you can't fix anything. Some time ago, uh, uh, one of the children we were working with little girl comes in with all this makeup on. At first it was kind of cute, a little strange, but she never wears makeup. And uh, the person that was caring for her says, honey, why all that makeup on? She makes up a story. She goes, swims. She uh, is in the shower forever. And finally the, the lady that was driving her goes in and gets her, comes out. She'd been beaten. And, well, honey, why, how'd that happen? Oh, my friend and I were wrestling. Yada, yada, yada. And uh, so during that period of time, we're, we, you know, if you call DC, you know, so you do the things you need to do to deal with an abuse case. And there was all this despair in me that welled up and just said, we have got to save this child. There's got to be something we can do. We can stop this. We can, it's, it's up to us. I can't save her. I can call DCS. I can put caring adults around her. I can find somebody that's smart enough to know that nine-year-olds don't wear makeup. Can't save her. I'm not the light. Now, maybe it's an occupational hazard. If you come in and talk to me and give me the gift of your, your issues, your struggles, it just kicks into gear. I want to save you. I feel good when I feel like I'm saving you. I'm not the light. I just can witness to the light. So I wonder if there's a place in your life tonight where you've gotten that mixed up. And where you can tell is that you've taken on a burden that God didn't give you to take on. You've decided you're the light. And you're going to fix this thing. You're going to fix your family. You're going to take care of that problem. We'll settle that one with Jesus tonight. Get back in the right order. We're all witnesses. We're not the light. The true light 
which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. It's such a beautiful verse, and we, we celebrate that in so many ways at Christmas and with the candles and the light themes and you know, the trees and all these beautiful things. It's so beautiful, but it also brings with it a corollary that goes something like this. Life can be pretty dark. And the Gospel of John actually is kind of strong on this point. And the Gospel of John says that just left to ourselves, left to our own fallenness, left to our own tendencies, life's kind of dark. There's not a lot of hope by myself. For some reason... You know, this is the time of year when the church talk, we talk about light more than anything else, Jesus being the light. It also seems to be the time of the year when we struggle with darkness more. And, and I know part of it is the calendar, and I get that, and, and I know I struggle a little bit with melancholy, and so the calendar's part of it. But it just seems like all sorts of things stir up this time of year that, that kind of bring darkness into our worlds. You know, I think, I think one little piece of it is expectation and what the rest of the world on Facebook or on TV says ought to be going on in our life this time of year. Sandy and I are watching this wonderful show about this family. I can never remember the name of it. It's like We Are Us or This Is Us or something. This Is Us. It's really beautiful. And, it's, of course, it's the Christmas show, and we're watching the Christmas show. And, man, every good thing that could possibly happen on Christmas happens in the last show. I mean, they are reconciling, they are forgiving, they are hugging, they're building candy castles and Santa things and, you know, every possible thing you could come up with. Now, a guy does die at the end, but that's kind of beside the point. But <laughs> other than that, you know, it was this incredible Christmas night, and I caught, caught myself thinking, you know, I don't know if our Christmas is going to look like that. Sometimes this time of year we just struggle with a little bit of darkness and, and, and hopelessness and, and, yes, even depression. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. I want to deal with that just theologically for a minute, but I also think it can be true that when we are struggling with darkness and things get kind of heavy and we feel like we don't have a lot of hope, um, it's, easy, it's easy to kind of miss the light. It's easy to kind of turn away from the light. You ever notice that often depressed people like it dark? There's a tendency when the joy starts to drain out and you get kind of beat up and worn down to just not like light very much. You start kind of maybe watching things that aren't really full of light. You start pulling away from the people that give you light. You start kind of nourishing these dark thoughts. And here's the odd thing about that. Sometimes they taste good. There, there is the most perverse thing that I found when I've been depressed is that gnawing on a dark thought can be deliciously destructive. There's something about self-pity 
It is so tasty. Mm, 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 mm. Well, I think the theological point here is that the creator of the world comes into the world to bring it light. And almost nobody responds. I mean, I know Christianity is all over the world now, but remember when Jesus died, he would not have been voted Messiah of the Year. You know, he wouldn't have been asked to, to, to candidate for churches. You know, he wouldn't have been on any book covers because nobody got him. Nobody understood him. Even his best disciples, they didn't really get him. So what does he do? He does what we should do. He calls 12 people. He calls people around him to walk with. He can't walk with 400. He calls 12. He walks with them carefully. You get the sense that he loves them and that there's some connection there. What's the last scene of his disciples before he's taken away? They're asleep. So maybe if, if we are followers of Christ and we uh, expect our lives to be shaped like Christ's life, maybe we should expect to share in his sufferings and maybe one of the things we take from this passage is that part of the narrow way, part of following Christ in discipleship is being lonely. Not being known. Not being fully understood. Maybe that's kind of part of the game here on this side. And yes, we get tastes of it and glimpses of it, and it's sweet when it happens, but maybe our expectation ought to be more that what Christ experienced is something of what happens on this side. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, um, let me, that, that wasn't very hopeful. Um, do I really believe that? Um, let's back up a second. I wrote in my notes, be hopeful tonight. This is about light. Um, <laughs> I think it's right, though, that God may give you a great friend or roommate, uh, good marriage, and there'll be tastes of joy and tastes of connection and tastes of being known as you long to be known, but isn't a big part of the human experience not being known? I mean, isn't that why Thanksgiving and Christmas can often be so dreadful? (laughs) Not always but you're with people you love and you're biologically connected and you're intimate and you just watched a Hallmark show where everybody was reconciling and you realize, I don't think anybody here really knows me. Or even worse, I'm not sure they want to. So if there's a hope in that, I think it's that there is a way that we share in the fellowship of Christ's suffering when we're lonely, especially during the holidays, because he was. 
because he was. And there is a solace and a comfort and a joy and a sweetness that comes from identifying with Christ when we feel unknown. Is that a little, little more hope there? Okay, well, we'll move on. Um, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, or the Greek is exousia, the power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. <laughs> what a mystery. How do, you, how do you come into this beautiful light? How do you become a child of God? You believe. You receive him. But you can't. Because <laughs> it's dark. And you're dark. And you can't see. So he has to give you the gift of belief. Wow. And I actually find that very encouraging because I think it means any true spiritual work that goes on in my heart or your heart ultimately comes from God. You can't, you can't just work it up. A friend uh, sent me a, a, a sermon on the difference between moral transformation and spiritual transformation. It was really, it was really insightful. Um, and the point the guy was making was Mostly what we try to work on as Christians is moral transformation. Struggling with this, struggling with this, struggling with this. I got to be better. I really got to be better. I really got to try harder. Okay, New Year, I'm going to try harder. That's not the gospel, right? I mean, that's like Kiwanis or something. <laughs> that's not the gospel. The gospel is you can't. The only way you're going to change, become more filled with light, is if God gives you the power to do it. That's the only way it happens. You can't do it by yourself. I'll end with this. One, one of the privileges of my ministry over the years is um, I get to talk with people who are dying. And some time ago, I, I was with a dear saint who was preparing, and I've, I've been doing this long enough that I've, I've seen a pattern, and I, 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 here, I'm, I'm going to say what I think. I think that the devil goes after us when we're most vulnerable. That's why I hate his guts. He's just so unfair. I saw this happen with my mother. I've seen this happen again and again and again, that when someone is just broken by all these drugs and pain and suffering, as if that weren't bad enough, the evil one comes in and says, you weren't enough, and then starts playing this tape of all the things that they did wrong. I think that was the last one of the last things my mom said to me was, I'm sorry. She kept saying it. And I kept saying, Mom, you don't have to say that. All spiritual work is a, is a gift of God. It, we don't earn it. We become children of God not because we lived our life right. We become children of God because we just ask him to save us.
And I hope we can carry that with us to our grave. Because on that last moment when we're wondering what's going to happen next, if I've got to play the tape of how many times I didn't read to my kids and how many balls I didn't throw and how many times I should have stayed up and worked through a conflict, how many times I went down to grill and just wished I'd had a little time to read and my son wanted to talk and I didn't pay attention to him. My goodness, that's a long tape. You don't need to play it. That's not how you get in. You get in because of grace. Let's pray.